Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yanyan. Today I want to be addressing this broadcast to those who feel like you have a call to be in the ministry. What's God looking for? Education? That's good. A diploma? That's good from a good Bible school. No, he's really looking for character. How do you develop character? The greatest thing that God is looking for. Well, join me today on Student of the Word. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. I'm gonna really address those today, and I trust this will really kind of spread over everybody, but really aiming this toward those who feel like you have a call into the ministry. And that can be one of the five-fold offices, pastor, evangelist, teacher, those types of things, but also, even in support positions, you feel like you may be called to be an associate pastor, uh, head up the music department, whatever the things that that has. But you feel above just a natural occupation out here that you have a spiritual calling on your life. And uh, you don't know maybe what it is right now, but I just wanna talk to you about the major thing that causes you to be placed into the ministry. And we often think, well, this guy just has a gift to teach. Well, that's true, but that's not why God picks them is because they have a gift to teach. In fact, what God does is he passes over many gifted people and there's something he's looking for. That's why this is entitled today, Gifts and Character, how the two fit together. God is looking for character in your life, stability in your life more than he is a gift to teach. I worked for Kenneth Hagin for a number of years and Kenneth Hagin had this, Kenneth Hagin wasn't as well known as some of the major healing evangelists of, their, of his day, but he outlived them all. They died at young ages, many of them did, and oftentimes uh, because of sexual sins or alcoholism or things like that, many of these guys died because they didn't consider character that important. What they had was people would invite them to come speak and have giant conferences and tent meetings and all that kind of stuff because of the massive moving of the spirit in their life. But they often remind me of Samson. So was Samson. He was gifted by God with incredible powers and gifts of the spirit. But man, he did not have a character to back it up. This guy was carnal. He used his gifts to get into people's lives, but everything was for himself. Self-centered, self-centered, self-centered and he ended up dying at a young age. And was he gifted? Yes. Did he set up great? Uh, I mean, was he well known in his day? Yeah, but he was just as much known for his bad character as he was the fact that he could bend down and pick up the gates of a city and drag them off. I mean, his strength supernaturally from the Holy Spirit was incredible. And we see that today. Being born and raised in Pentecost, I remember many of the ministers of that day that were known around the nation and even known around the world Behind the scenes, they were alcoholics, they were womenizers and things like that. And you wonder how in the world, because they operated in a gift, but they didn't develop the character at the same time. Let me just simply say this, the new birth, what that leads you into is what's attached to the new birth is the fruit of the Spirit. What God wants right after you're born again is for the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you into a fruitful life, and that is with character established there. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking with tongues is the gift of power that takes you to what follows after that, and that is the gifts of the Spirit. The two, again, we find the new birth leads you into character, but the, then the gifts of the Spirit, you know, come after the fact that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is where your power comes from. And so God wants you to know, as soon as you're born again, the first thing you should start developing in your life is the nine fruit of the Spirit, and that again comes back to character, love, joy, peace, these other things that develop in life, and the natural things that develop and help you, and these are the things 
things will keep you in ministry for years and years to come. It's not even known much. If Billy Graham was actually filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with tongues, he wouldn't really get into it, but you could sense the presence of the Holy Spirit all around him. But what he worked on strongly in his ministry was character and develop these things. And when he actually, when he went to a meeting, he would have his crew call the hotel ahead of time and make sure at that time, this is what it was, on top of the TVs in the room was a little black box to where he could watch, you know, adult things and porno would come through that. And uh, oftentimes people would get to the hotel, then have it turned off. No, he made sure before he ever got there that that was turned off and that he couldn't turn it back on. It said when he, when he was in a hotel, and the door opened up and there was a woman standing there by herself, he would not get in. He did not want the door to open up and he'd be standing in there with a woman. He would actually let stand, let the doors close, go on. He would wait for one that either had a group of people in it or it was empty. And so this is what he did. Again, he planned ahead of time and believe me, his ministry, although there might've been some things that were said about him and stuff, it was scandal free. And I mean, he went through times of one president after another, spanned time period after time period, and he became known as the United States, our national minister. And he was known worldwide, but what held above everything else was his reputation, not so much the powerful gifts of the Holy Spirit, but he was gifted like an evangelist and as an evangelist in leading people to the Lord Jesus Christ. But other ones that I knew growing up and hearing about them growing up, there was always those stories behind the scenes of what went on and the lack of any kind of, of, of character in them, any type of lack of morality in them and the fruit of the spirit being in them. Brother Hagen, Kenneth Hagen said this at one time in a meeting with some of these men in the back room who were talking and said their, their language wasn't good, their, care, their outlook on life wasn't good, their morals weren't good, but they talk about the powerful gifts of the Spirit. And Brother Hagen said he did this one time in a room full, full of these guys. He looked at all of them and said, you know what? I'm going to outlast you. And they said, what do you mean you're going to outlast us? He said, because I'm not building my ministry on the gifts of the Spirit. I'm building it on character. And you know what he did? He outlasted all of them. Many of them died very, very early and they died of sickness, disease, or disasters in their life. And Kenneth Hagin lived to be a ripe old age of his middle 80s and then went on to be with the Lord. And again, built it again on great character. This is what he had. And really there were things said about him, his beliefs and his doctrines and stuff like that, but nothing was ever said about immorality in his life. He put his family, he put God first and all these things into where there was constantly a good taste in people's mouth when they had him come to speak and minister at his church. In Exodus chapter 17, Exodus chapter 24 and Exodus chapter 32, we compare three people, Joshua, Aaron, and Hur. All three of them were very closely associated with Moses, but which one went on to replace him later in life? We find out it was the one with the most character, not so much the ones with great wisdom, not the ones with great power to run a group of people and oversee them. Their business skills were there, but they put their emphasis on business skills. Joshua developed character and he's the one that replaced Moses when Moses left and God even told him Joshua would replace him. Moses gave commandments to Joshua, to Aaron and her to test their faithfulness, but most of all, to test their character. Joshua was faithful on what we call the slopes, being obedient to Moses. He remained faithful to his post, though Moses was gone a long time. This is in the preceding verses before we talk about how that you develop character in your own life. He remained faithful again to his post. There was a time, and you remember this story, Moses went up on the mountain and he went to get the tablets of the law. And he took with him Joshua and he told Joshua, 
on the way up the mountain, as before the top ever, he ever came to the top, set Moses, uh, set Joshua down and said, Joshua, stay here and don't move till I come back down the mountain. And so Joshua did. He left Aaron and her in the camp to run the group of people. And probably Joshua might've thought, well, they get to run the whole nation. I got to sit here and do nothing. And he probably even thought in his own brain, they must be more important than I am. They got a better position than me. They get to actually run the camp. But no, no, God was testing character. What will you do when you're by yourself? There's where character really comes out. What do you do when you're alone? Not what you do in front of people. And Aaron and her did their best to impress people and even show them we're better than Moses. Wrong motives in their life. Instead of supporting Moses, they actually defied Moses. And this is the time when they let the people worship the gods of Egypt where they came out of. And so again, we find that they made a golden calf while that Moses was gone and Aaron and her allowed them to do this. They figured we'll, we'll catch the heart of the people. We'll let them do whatever they want to. And God was angry at them and Moses was mad angry at them when he came back down the mountain. Joshua was faithful on the slopes being obedient to Moses. He remained faithful to his post though Moses was gone for a long, long time. He sat there day after day. And you know what? Your imagination begins to come thinking, well, maybe he died up there. I, maybe I need to go check on him. No, he remained faithful even when he heard the sound of what he thought was war in the camp. What it was, was a sexual orgy. They were having sex around this golden idol that came from, that they took from uh, in their thoughts and remembered what went on in Egypt. They built this thing, then they started having sexual orgies around this thing. And the yelling and the screaming that came from the camp and the sounds of partying and all this kind of stuff came up the mountain. Joshua could hear it. And the first thought he had was, there's a war going on. And Joshua was a man of war. His first inclination must be, I need to get out of here. I need to go. No, 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 no. Moses told me to stay here. But, but I need to. No, no. Moses told me to say. And this wrestling must have gone on in his mind as it does with anybody. But in every case, Joshua made the right choice. When Moses finally came down from the mountain, uh, Joshua said this to Moses. He said, listen to what's going on in the camp. There's a war going down there. I really, I stayed here, but you know what? I felt like being the man of war I am. I should have gone down there and helped him in the midst of this war. And Moses listened. I'm sure he must have laughed out loud and said, no, 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 Joshua. That's not the sound of war. I recognize that. There's sexual orgy going on. He didn't say this, but he knew what was going on. And when he came down the mountain and he met Aaron and her who had not been faithful, he chewed them out. The two events, one on the mountain and one in the camp, revealed the character and the character flaws and the character strength of these, of these three men. And the two that stayed down there, Aaron and her, who stood down there in the, in the camp, let the people do whatever they wanted to. And that immediately in God's list and also in Moses' list said, listen, when it comes time for replacement, scratch them out. These two will not make it. Joshua was the one. Joshua may not have had leadership skills like these other ones too, but you know what? God didn't choose him because of his skills. God chose him because of his character. So again, these two were not faithful to Moses when he was away. They catered to the people's opinions in a time of pressure. Rebellious people, often go around leadership and directly to the people. This was seen in the case of Absalom. Absalom tried to take over from his father, from David. And while David was in the midst of problems for some three years, Absalom met the people at the front gate. 
and would talk to them and welcome them as they came in. And after that time period, won the hearts of everybody, the Bible says, from Dan, from Dan to Beersheba, from one, one group to the next, all the way across the entire nation. He had swayed them during those three, even four years while he did this. And while he did that again, David didn't even know what was going on, but he proved his character was terrible and God did not choose him to be the next leader. In his death, David was praying, who should take over? And God said, you're gonna turn it over to your other son. And that was to Solomon. In choosing Solomon, even though Solomon had some character flaws in him, it was not as bad as Absalom. Adonijah also, David's other son, was terrible in these situations. But here we have it, how that God turned it over after David to Solomon. And great things happened after that. Even though there was sin in Solomon's life, things he had to learn, he eventually came back in line. So self-love is the root of all sins. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, we'll end on this verse, then we'll go into the break. And when we come back, talk more about character. And here's what it says. This know also that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of their own selves. Notice this is plural. So it could be believers and unbelievers. They're living in a day today where self-love is being promoted in society, but sadly in many churches. They'll be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, everything's owed to you, unholy, without natural affection, homosexuality, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, no self-control, fierce, despisers of those who are good, traitors, heady, that's reckless, high-minded, that's arrogance, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I'll see you when we get back and we'll talk more about this as soon as the break is gone. The awesome grace of God begins with salvation and carries us all the way through this life and into eternity. Because of the work of the cross, God's grace is absolutely free to all who will simply receive it. In this five-lesson teaching series, Pastor Bob Yandian highlights the foundational Bible truths concerning four specific types of grace that God has provided for us. The topic titles are Mephibosheth, Convicting Grace, Saving Grace, Living Grace, and Dying Grace. Understanding the nature of the grace of God in each of these areas of life will help you understand the nature of His character and His unconditional love for us. To order types of grace, go to bobyandian.com. This newly revised and expanded handbook is packed with biblical wisdom and practical guidance from the pastoral trenches. It will help to equip and encourage you in your ministry. Bobby Endian, a veteran pastor of more than 30 years, provides answers to common questions relating to your everyday pastoral duties and personal life. Bob covers topics such as the first pastor's conference in Acts 20, passion versus calling, daily schedules, living a balanced life, wolves after your sheep, the glorious church, pastors need pastors, whose flock do you pastor, spiritual workaholics, Family Before Ministry, The Pastor's Heart, and The Bond of Peace. Bob will help you apply timeless biblical wisdom to the issues and dynamics of today's pastoral ministry. To order, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. 
If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 also describe to us how we should be in this life as far as developing character toward God and character toward people. 1 Peter chapter 5, again, verse 5 and 6 says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourself unto the elder or the older one. Yes, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Subject one to another simply means whether it's parents or later on with your first occupation with a boss or teachers in your school, you learn something here, and that is the mighty hand of God is literally the person that's above you. Because it goes on to say in this verse of scripture in Proverbs 3.34, here mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 5, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You know, we read that and we think, oh, okay, I'll submit myself to the hand of God. But you know what? My, you know, school teacher isn't so great. No, no. no. What we're saying here is the mighty hand of God is the person that is above you. It could be your parents, your mom, your dad. You say, yeah, but my mom and dad aren't perfect. Well, who is except for God? We submit ourselves to people that may have problems in their life, but ultimately we submit ourselves to the one who has no problems. Learning to put up with things in life we don't like in people, they ask us to do something we may not want to do, but we do it anyway. That helps you submit to God. What he's simply saying is welcome to life. Nothing in life is perfect. You know, I learned from my parents as much almost what not to do as what to do. Of course, the older I got, I found out the things I thought they did wrong. I began to find out, eh, they kind of knew what they were talking about as I got older. But then one day I finally had to admit something to myself. Bob's not perfect. You know, my wife's not perfect. And, and just like those that were around me, we do our best each and every day, but sometimes we miss it. But you know what? A child submitting to their mom and dad is eventually going to come out as they submit themselves to God. Then the first teachers in their school, then, the, then you know, the... Um, the guy that runs the school, you know, and, and all that, the principal. Then you have your first job, your first occupation. You learn to submit yourself to somebody as you push a broom or you sack groceries or do something like this. As you grow up, again, you learn to submit yourself to those people asking you to do things. And sometimes they might do it to you just because you're a Christian. They don't like Christians. So they give you some of the dirty work to do around the place. You don't gripe and complain and resist against that. No, you do it anyway, because why? Above them is God. Submitting myself to this natural boss is submitting myself to God because the mighty hand of God over me is the person I'm under at the moment. It could be the the cop that pulled you over and said you were speeding when you knew you weren't, that you said you made a wrong turn, but you know you didn't. It could be you did do what they say, but you begin to think, well, wait a minute, I'm a child of God. I shouldn't have to put up with this stuff. No, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God by submitting to the person that's over you. Your pastor, a Sunday school teacher, whatever it may be in life, there's always something there. You go to the military, you have people above you, and you know what? You don't like it, but you start out on the bottom, you're you know, brand new to this thing, and you have to submit to your sergeant, you know, to all the way up, you know. And what happens is that you learn to submit yourself to people, and as you do to constantly to those above you, you learn from them things you like, you learn from them things you don't like, and you put them into your life, assimilate them in, and you try to become a better person so that one day your own character has God's development on it, and he advances you based on your character, not on your great knowledge of things that are around you. Ephesians 5.21 says this, submitting yourself one to another in the fear or the reverence of God. Notice this, submitting yourself one to another. Even when you meet people in a church service or you, you meet people on the street and stuff, they ask for, you know, they say something and you immediately submit yourself to them. Yeah, I'll do that for you. Let me, let me do that for you. 
what happens is they look at you like, well, that's sure different. In other words, you actually just put people who may not even be in a position of authority over you. You just meet them, but your desire is to serve them. And even Philippians tells us the highest thing we can have is learning to uh, put others even above yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Then love your neighbor as yourself. But Philippians goes on to say, and that is esteeming others even better than yourself. This is what God is looking for. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says this, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now this has a drawing line across right here. There is a stop to this. If that ordinance goes against the word of God, you have a right to go with the word of God. But in things you don't like, taxes and all this, this verse doesn't say back out and become you know obstinate and not do this. No, because I can tell you this, the Bible doesn't say how much taxes are correct and how much is not correct. We do know this, that when Peter didn't have it, God supplied a fish for him with money in its mouth to pay. If there ever comes a time when I cannot afford to pay my taxes, there's other fish out there that God can bring my way to help me pay for it. It doesn't mean that I resist it, get mad at them, and then actually put myself against them. No, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it's to the king as the supreme one, that would be like the president of our country, or to governors, that's over our states, as those who are sent by them for the punishment of evildoers, that gets right down into city police officers, right on down to the man that stands on the corner and stops traffic for children to go across and go to school, and for the praise of those who do well. It simply comes down to this, that character and gifts are two things that, again, in the body of Christ are important, but yet one has to come above the other. What comes above the other is character comes above the gifts. Charles Duncombe, who was the teacher that at my Bible school and that I learned under, getting into the ministry and going to Bible school to find out. I knew I had a call to teach and he helped to develop that. But I also learned character during that time. Brother Duncombe talked about since he pastored a church in London, of which actually Smith Wigglesworth attended and went out to ministry. Brother, Brother Duncombe got to travel with Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth attended the church. And one day, Brother Duncombe says that one of the young men from the Royal Navy was home and they were fixing the ship that he was on, which was a destroyer. And he asked Brother Duncombe, if he'd like to come see it. Brother Duncombe said, would I like to see it? Brother Duncombe loved power. You know, he talked about it. He went on, he said, the guns were this huge. He said, gigantic guns. He said, huge things. But because they had they had so much power on them, their destruction comes quickly. They had to bring it in and were going to, they were going to literally redo the guns. All right. They were going to, you know, fix them up and everything, get them right back. And also their stress on the ship itself. And so Brother Duncombe stood there on the deck and they had taken out one of these gigantic, gigantic, gigantic guns. He said the hole in the deck was huge of which this gun had set in. And he said the ma young man was explaining what went on. Brother Duncombe said, look down. And he said the deck of the ship was this thick. It wasn't one solid piece of steel. It was stacked upon one on top of another, layer upon layer, steel upon steel upon steel upon steel. And Brother Duncombe said, why is the deck so thick? He said, sir, he said, these guns are so powerful that if the deck wasn't that thick, they could rip themselves right out of the deck. Every time we shoot it, he said, facing forward, the, the ship slows down some three knots. We have to build up our speed again. When we turn the, the, uh, the gun sideways here on the deck and we shell something on the shore or we're shooting toward another ship over there, he says, if it wasn't for the gyros underneath the deck of this ship, we would capsize the ship in either direction. He said, that's how much stress is put on this so that the guns, which are powerful, won't rip themselves right out of the deck and destroy the ship. Brother Duncombe says as he was watching and looking down at that deck 
a sermon came to him. And he said, the deck of the ship represented the fruit of the Spirit and the gun represented the gifts of the Spirit. If we don't develop a character foundation underneath us, the gifts can rip our lives to shreds. And he said, that's what he remembered from because the same thing was occurring back there in the 1940s as was occurring in the 1960s and 70s when I went to Bible school. And Brother Duncombe said he saw that and realized it's important that you build up character. And of course, the character is the fruit of the Spirit. And so it comes back to this. What are you working on in your life? Are you working on your calling or are you working on your character? The most important thing is work on your character and that will guarantee you a position in the ministry and that position will last for the rest of your life. And you can actually come through it unscathed at the end. Not that they won't make accusations against you, but nothing can be proven because your character was in line with the Word of God. It comes back to this. You're gifts can take you where your character cannot sustain you. If you develop your character first, it gets you so far out there that the gifts can come into your life and the character has already laid a foundation underneath you. Even gifted children need to be disciplined. Oftentimes a child by three, four, five years old are playing the piano almost virtuoso and people are flocking to hear this three to five year old playing the piano and we often hear about those. But you know what? Parents often think, well, the gifts that are in my children's life indicates they're almost like an adult. So they treat them like they are an adult and gifted children often end up being some of the most undisciplined children, some of the wildest kids, some of the most uh, ones that you know have no character in them because we think that because of their gifting that that is where the child is as far as their natural growth is concerned and that is not true. And so you need to discipline. Those kids need to be spanked like any other kid. They need to be told what to do like any other child. And just because they can sit down and play the piano like an adult does not mean they are an adult. They just happen to be gifted at the moment. God will not promote you where your gifts exceed your character. God looks for character, first of all, and to understand this, in your life, you may be gifted at certain areas, can draw crowds around you, but God even has greater things he wants to call you into, but has to stop right there because your character won't let you go any further. Others will try to promote you or may even try to, you might even try to promote yourself. But Luke 14 and verse 11 says this, whoever exalts himself shall be abased and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you put yourself down and don't promote yourself, God will see to it you are promoted, but whoever humbles himself again will be exalted, but whoever tries to lift himself up, God will make sure that you are brought down. Many less gifted people go unnoticed in the world, filled with others who are more gifted. Again, we often see this, greatly gifted people go unnoticed in the world while the world looks for those who are more gifted, but the ones who are less gifted, oftentimes, again, because their character is developed, end up later in life as advancing and advancing more and more while others are left on the wayside. Gifted people often have short careers and are replaced quickly. Many less gifted people rise to the top and are blessed and prospered because they developed character. Businesses seek people of character over gifted people. The world does not owe you a job. Your education or diploma does not bring you a job or keep that job. More people are fired for a lack of character than a lack of education. Christians should be the hardest workers and the most dependable. When your gift exceeds your character, you're proud and God resists you. James 4, 6 says the same thing. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble.
When you are rewarded and promoted for your gifts, you end up like many sports figures, actors, and musicians who are spoiled and arrogant. An elder is not one who is old, but one who is mature, despite his age. There are many gifted 50-year-old children, but there are also many 20-year-old adults. Which one are you? How about you? 1 Peter 5, 6 says again, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And this is what God is looking for. Why don't you take a chance today on building your character over trying to study to build your gifts? Build your character, make it to where you become more acceptable among people because they know of your submission to the mighty hand of God. And God says he again will exalt you in due season. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.